Have you ever dreamed of going to Hollywood and making it big? Well, these are the stories of people who have made it, just in a different way. They're the unsung heroes behind the screens that make movies and television come to life. Welcome to the Right Scuff podcast, where we talk about films and interview those who are just starting their careers to some of the biggest names in production and post-production. Our mission is to inspire you through the true stories of people who have achieved their dreams. We'll be talking to Foley artists, screenwriters, sound editors, picture editors, the list goes on. And for film fans, we'll be focusing on sound and what it takes to create Foley. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a writer. And I'm John, a professional Foley artist in the film business for over 40 years. He's worked on over 500 films and is a 37-time nominated and 9-time MPSD winner for big titles such as Inception, The Matrix, and The Dark Knight. You can find us online at therightscuff.com and please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Welcome to another episode of The Right Scuff Podcast. Today, we have the wonderful Bernice with us. Hi, Bernice. Hello. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. If you could, just take us back to the beginning. What did you see yourself doing when you, gr- when you grew up? When you grow up? Mm-hmm. So, um, first, I was, I was born in France, uh, raised in a, uh, not in Paris, raised in a small town in Brittany. So, um, Movie production was not really in the landscape of things. Um, it was a very uh, privileged <laughs> profession, that, uh, either I and and not very well known. And for that matter, schools were not really, you know, a part of something you would consider living in LA. Like, okay, oh yeah, film business is is a profession, and I could do that. So uh, when I was four, I was told that apparently I saw a documentary. Uh, and it sounds cheesy, but I saw a documentary of Walt Disney where they were the ink and paint uh, department, and those ladies were painting uh, the cells, and I would have told my mom, I said, that's what I want to do. So um, she reminded me of that. After this, I think it was definitely uh, something uh, I wanted to do in film. I didn't really know what it was. It was definitely not in front of the camera, uh, and but I I didn't know exactly what it was. And I, I kind of looked into schools. There was a school called La Femisa uh, in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was more technical school. Um, but again, it was not really meeting my, my needs. So I, I'd say I got lucky. I got lucky because uh, I after high school, I signed up for know to be a lawyer so I went to law school for about a week wow. um, for a week I, yeah <laughs> I, that's the beautiful thing about France is you don't pay for university so you can try th- different things mm-hmm. no the, the truth is I wanted to uh, sign up for film school in, in La Sorbonne in Paris and I didn't know exactly how it worked and I just showed up the first day because I signed up for it and um, it turned out that I actually ended up in business affairs because I didn't camp out for two days in front of university like the others did to get the actually what you needed. So it was the little provincial girl <laughs> coming from you know a small town learning about the Paris rules. So I actually didn't end up there, and I tried law school, and that wasn't for me either. And I just said, well, maybe if I learn English, you know, that will open me some doors. Mm-hmm. So. I found an opportunity to be au pair for four months in Pennsylvania, 
And that's where I learned English um, with taking care of kids. And when I came back, I had my brother was kind of in the radio film business. And again, with only two in the family in that <laughs> business. And he said, well, they're looking for somebody at Columbia TriStar who doesn't know anything about the technical department, but who speaks English. And I was in Paris. So I got hired, again, a lot of good luck uh, into the technical department of Columbia TriStar. And it was about the dubbing group. It was about dubbing American movies into French. And uh, I learned everything from mixing stages to labs, people, and just ask questions. So I actually taught myself by just hanging out with the professionals and asking questions all day. And, and what year was that? That would have been 86, 87. Yeah. So I, from Columbia TriStar, I uh, then moved... The the yeah, Columbia TriStar was a little it was not ideal situation because of who I was working for, um, and I understood why that that person wanted just somebody who started with no knowledge. But I kind of found knowledge from other people. So then I moved to Warner Brothers. I did same position for Warner Brothers, still in Paris. So still working with Americans in Paris. You know, wow. usually don't didn't speak any French, so my English got better. Right. And I did two years of that. Um, and again, dubbing French, you know, so live action. And at the time, Warner Brothers in Paris was distributing Disney movies, animated Disney movies in Paris. Buena Vista International happened, and they uh, sent people to Europe to start opening Buena Vista International offices so, they can so Disney can actually distribute their own movies in the foreign territories, which before was another major like Warner Brothers, depending on the territory, it was different companies distributing Disney movies. So the first company they came to was obviously Warner Brothers because they knew that people had been working on Disney Disney movies. Mm -hmm. um, so they came to Warner Brothers and um, met me and uh, start recruiting people for Buena Vista International for different offices. There was brand new. None of the offices were open yet. Um, and... Uh, they wanted me for the supervising role of uh, what they call film operations for Paris, but um, I spoke four languages at the time. Wow. So I spoke French, English, Spanish, and Russian. Um, okay. So they said, well, we're going to hire you for the European office. Mm -hmm. um, so I became the supervisor of film operations for Europe under a director. Okay. And we started in Paris for six months, and then they said, well, this is not working because... <laughs> They put us right outside of Euro Disneyland. They thought it would be strategic, but people that came from all over the world to run this European office thought, we don't. if we're going to be in Paris, we want to be in the center of Paris or not. So uh, they moved us to London six months after. In London, then I became the director of film operations. So my role there was still working on live action and animated titles. So we had about, those were the days where we had about 32 titles a year. And I had 37 territories to cover. So it was a vast wow. idea of Europe. Um, my role at the time was um, to make sure all those, you know, versions were covered in all the languages that I covered mm -hmm. uh, through the dubbing group and, and distributed in the local countries. But also at the time, I had to hire a technical director in each country uh, to run th the same operation I was running. 
So every day I was on the plane, um, and I just built kind of, you know, a little empire of technical people throughout the, the world, throughout Europe. Um, that I'm proud to say some are still in the territories today. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then from there at the same time, I would come once a year to LA to start talking about when would I get the next elements on the animation, because animation was obviously still the most languages it was dubbed into, you know, uh, because of the market. So I would come once a year to LA <coughs> to just cover, um, to get the, the, the production needs and to find out when the elements will be delivered. Well, and this was still working for Buena Vista, correct? Yeah. yeah. So then I was with Buena Vista. So um, part of my responsibilities as well was to set up premieres for, uh, you know, the filmmakers when they were they coming for Europe. So I would travel with them and set up the premieres, in London, Kensington Square, and Madrid, and all this. So I got really close to the the filmmakers traveling. Uh, I did a lot of Cannes Film Festival. I did a lot of Deauville Film Festival. Um, so I got to meet a lot of people and get close to people that I work with today, actually. <coughs> and the beginning of the animation story is uh, a fun one, actually. Um, so you have to remember, those are film days. Mm -hmm. It's not like you want to see a movie and you press a button and you get a digital file over, you know, ah. the <laughs> web. So uh, I was working on Lion King and um, and they w Elton John, who was obviously implicated in the movie and, and a big uh, voice for the movie, uh, decided that he wanted to show the movie that Saturday to his parents. Um, and the movie was no shape or form to be really shown yet. Uh, and it was a Wednesday, I always remember this. <laughs> and so they sent me what we call, you know, a double system print, which picture on one side and then sound on the other, and I had to put it together and then, and then got ready for a Saturday showing for Elton and his parents, who were already in their 90s. <laughs> 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 and, uh, uh, and then showed up that day uh, a, a, a lady named Alice Dewey, who uh, was the associate producer of Lion King, who happened to be in Europe traveling, and she uh, heard about the last minute screening. She popped to London, and she spent the day with me, uh, kind of seeing what I was doing and how this operation was running, and we had a successful screening. And at the end of the day, she said, would you like to move to LA? You know? Wow, so that was, that was the moment. That was kind of the moment, yeah. you could leave Europe and come to the States. Yeah. So what I didn't know at the time is Alice became the producer on Hercules and uh, she was already prepping for her next show. Um, it took, then it was a process to get me over there. I mean, I didn't have any paperwork and all that. So it took a good six, eight months to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I had to interview with every producer at Disney Animation over the, uh, <laughs> Uh, what do you call it? It's not even iChat. It was the oh. <laughs> you know the version. It was delayed <laughs> and Something before that. yeah, <laughs> um, two long tin, um, two tin cans and a long yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So um, the fun part of this is that you know there were one of the concern is that there is our English is going to be good enough. I mean I'd spent three years in London, so they figured there would be. But Don Hall, Don Hahn, who was the main producer at the time. 
uh, would like to just you know crack some jokes and see if I would laugh to see if I understand. And then there was. <laughs> So he would test you. He, he would, would test you with jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so they would they would just go and I I would interview like eight producers at a time and it was kind of a marathon interviewing and obviously that was my end of day and that was the beginning of day, um and there was uh, the office in London was over a train track so every time you have to wait for the train to come by, <laughs> but <laughs> Don Hahn would you know from time to time uh, just say some jokes and to see if I would have you know the perfect understanding of the language. <laughs> And there was a delay because of the technology at the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I could see them all leaning towards another. She doesn't understand. She doesn't <laughs> <laughs> and then I would start laughing and say, oh, okay, good. And that's how I got hired. <laughs> wow. Now, and, and what year was that then? So I came here in 92. 92. Wow. Uh, and I was hired to do the supervisor of post production on Hercules. Um, and I was working for a VP of post-production at the time, Sarah Durant, um, and, uh, and uh, we had, um, you know, all those projects since Hercules until now, I pretty much worked on. We had a couple of post-supervisors at the time for a period, but um, I've been working for them. But the first time I got here, first movie they gave me is with Ron Clements and John Musker, who to me were the legend of animation. So it was a little bit intimidating, but... And what was that film? It was Hercules. Oh. Yeah, it was Hercules. Um, so, and that was my first time at Skywalker. Uh, and on top of that, they gave me Gary Rystrom. <laughs> so it was like getting ready for the... <laughs> with the big boys, uh, and uh, yeah, and it worked out because I'm still here, so I guess it d I did okay. <laughs> yeah, ab absolutely, and then <laughs> if you were to just take a show today, again, we're not asking for anything specific, just kind of tell us what, you know, show X comes in, what, what take us through kind of some of the steps, and we don't obviously want you to have to, you know, you know, be so so long for you, but what what are the steps that are important that people to know that you actually do? Because yeah, a lot of people might not know that. Yeah, so it is definitely a, a, a different position that one, as I'm answering or into you know giving interviews or whatever, people discover even when I go to conferences and talk about it. Some people who thinks they want to be editors all of a sudden realize, oh, maybe there's something you know, different there. So it is a, a, a not a very well-known profession for sure. Um, here it's a little bit um, different than I would say in live action. I'm, I'm staff, so I worked on every single show. I'm also responsible for picture editorials. So I'm the one, I'm just gonna tell you about my current position. Uh, so I'm VP of post-production and I, uh, I have all of the editorial under me I have the theater operation, the transfer room, the color timing, um, and the recording sessions. So um, I don't have that many people, <coughs> but I have about 25 people. Um, we have four shows in production right now, so four groups of editorial. I have also music editorial in the building. Um, so my role, even though it's called post-production, really starts the at the very beginning of development because I helped casting the editors um, and that's something obviously I like to um, do the matchmaking because I've known those directors for so long and I know the editors so I, I, I kind of help with that. Um, 
And, uh, and we have a series of, our process of production is to show the movie on a regular basis to John Lasseter. Um, so it, it takes, you know, it takes pretty much a mini production every 12 to 14 weeks to put a whole movie together from scratch with sound, temp music, temp effects, temp dialogue, to do a full presentation to our story trust and John Lasseter. So that's my process in production. Um, at the same time, gearing up towards post-production, my responsibility is to put a sound crew together because we don't have a sound crew in-house. We want it to be a casting process, you know, and it's a creative position, and we want to cast with the, the filmmakers and depending on the movie. So <coughs> that's another thing I like to do because I always like to find new people or matchmaking again, you know. Um, and uh, so I picked the sound designer, I picked the sound crew. Uh, the music part, uh, we have a music department, they choose the music composer, but I'm responsible for the music editing part still, so uh, on the final score. So I hire the music editor for the composer, um, and we, you know, we work together with the sound crew in music and sound design. Um, I'm responsible for putting the schedule together, so basically saying when and how far we can go to meet the release date, not only domestically but internationally, which has become a whole different thing because when you dub into 47 languages, you need to allow people to do a great job and you know, international market is very important to us and to John. So um, I, I put the uh, schedule together and I kind of help the producer and the production team <coughs> meeting those deadlines, you know. So we check, it's a, it becomes a co-production because our schedule has been more and more compressed. So, you know, I can't necessarily uh, wait for the movie. Uh, well, I haven't been able to <laughs> wait for the movie to be finished to start post-production. Post-production will take the time that it takes. It's a creative process. So even though the schedules get compressed, that's a process I cannot <coughs> compress. So I need to start overlapping and be creative and find ways to give our post-production process, creative process, the time that it needs as well. And this is on four films at a time. Well, the post-production is one at a time, but the production, yes, yeah, four films at a time. Got it. So yeah. So uh, begs the question, when do you sleep? <laughs> I, I have a very, uh, I have a great team. You know, I, I that I take lots of pride in, and it's a it's a very well oiled machine here. The fact that we all under one roof, which is very rare for an animation studio, to go from story development to post production in one building, the fact that you can just run to anybody's office and ask for something, uh, has allowed us. And the fact that we most of us have been here. I mean, there's a lot of there's a, a an important trainee program and a lot of new people and. A uh, very diverse group of people from all over the world, which makes this studio really special. But um, at the end of the day, there's also people that have been here for a long time, and uh, you know what I even I'm doing, which is rare for people to know what I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, there's trust, and when you have trust between departments, when it's a chain of, of you know events in, in the animation process, and you can rely on each other, it, it makes the process really smooth. And uh, 
and it's it's good it's just you know it's been and i've you know it's my 25th year so i i like to think i know how to do it now so now do you if it, since it's your 25th year do you get like a a set of uh, Mickey Mouse ears? <laughs> <laughs> no, I get uh, a Tinkerbell statue, I think, this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bronze statue. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's kind of, uh, and then there's a the picture side, you know, the color timing, the, the multi versions. We create all the different um, uh, inserts uh, for the international group, etc. So that all come out of this department. And then there's the marketing request, obviously, that start flowing. And then the premieres and the rap parties and all of this world, it's all coming from from this department. So not to make your head spin, but, uh, I mean, it's incredible to me. And now, truly, how many um, people would you say are in your position, so to speak, at other studios? And then how many women? Um... I would say, um, uh, I think there's a head of post, and yeah, I d we're a minority <laughs> still. Um, a lot of women uh, are coming up and, and doing this job, you know. It's, uh, I think people realize that, uh, especially in animation, it's not as brutal in terms of hours, I think, as live action. I mean, we marathon runners, so we have to go for the long run. So we, you know, like editorial, we try to pace ourselves. We have our crunch times, but we couldn't do that crazy hours throughout three years of production. So when live action, you know, it's crunch into six months, so they go for it and then they take a break. So um, we still have cycles of production where things are busier than others, um, thankfully. But um, there's a there's a VP or head of produ uh, post production now in pretty much every studio. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. W if you were to get in the time machine and go forward ten years, fifteen years, what do you see your job looking like if it's not the same as today? Well, what makes it fascinating to me and and never boring is um, it's it is a technical job. I have to know. Uh, I'm also. You know, I have to be in tune with what's coming. I have, I'm part of, you know, the uh, kind of vision uh, profile of the studio and just finding out um, what's the next technology. All new technology is not necessarily the right technology for us. So we do uh, R&D on it and I have a technology group supporting me and kind of bouncing ideas with me and say, well, how about we try this? How about uh, they bring things to me and I ask for things of them as well. Um, so that keeps it really fun, um, uh, but we just, we innovators, so we want to make sure we, you know, stay on top of the technology. I haven't posted two shows the same way in 25 years, ah. <laughs> right? Wow. So it makes my position valuable to filmmakers. I have worked with the same filmmakers over the years, some are new which is uh, you start from scratch, you know, you have to teach them and they rely on you to teach them this process that nobody talks about. Everybody talks about story and animation and, you know, but post-production, they get in there and they're like, you know, what is, what is it? <laughs> so I love spending the time 
um, to, you know, that's what I did with Jennifer Lee on, on Frozen. She was new to this world, but she took the time to sit down and say, tell me everything about it. And then each session I said, this is what's happening here on the mixed stage. This is what's happening on the Foley stage, you know, and she had lots of fun with it. And she's a s the fastest learner I ever <laughs> met. Wow. So she just went on with it. And then um, she's the woman that we know now, who's a fantastic director. But... Um, that's part of my job is just try to you know to whoever is asking to know just to share what the what the process is and and what their role is what's expected of them in every situation of post-production um but also when i have a filmmaker that you know i haven't worked with for four years they can you know i went from people working on film to all of a sudden come back and it's an avid and you know and a whole thing and then the digital world and the deliverables are completely different people say oh it's easier now you don't have film it's like yeah i lost one deliverable and i gained four <laughs> you know yeah, where, where, where's the easiness in that yeah no it's not easier but it's not boring <laughs> you know so um i that's what makes my job i think great is that I, I just keeps you on your toes from a technology standpoint you have to learn you have to keep up you have to be ahead of it so you can help your filmmakers who are focused on way different things um and um and 10 years from now it'll keep going and the formats will change and uh, and and the experience changes i mean we always you know before it was all about the theater experience and and now we start looking at technology to see how we can make, you know, headphones buds where kids are actually watching our movies on an iPhone better than what it is now. So right, or VR even, you know. What or VR, you know. So that's all that makes it really exciting. Okay, well, let's jump back into the time machine. But this time, instead of going forward, we're going to go back to when you were a young girl. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you tell yourself when you're just starting out to that you that what you think would be important to tell like gosh i wish i knew such and such then mm -hmm. or not mm -hmm. um i don't regret not going to school with it and i know that's not the message we want to send the kids <laughs> um i i went to the best school there was which was um uh, which was uh, people you know i my my experience in london covering 37 countries which means you know i would call israel one morning and johannesburg the afternoon and it, it, you don't deal with the different culture even the same way you don't it, it taught me about being flexible adapting read people um and even though it became a little simpler when I moved here, because it was pretty much one culture, <laughs> um, it, it gave me really that, I think, that main skill, which is being flexible, reading people. And I, I get to know my filmmakers, and you know, there's things that I do with certain filmmakers that I don't do with others in terms of informing them, or when to inform them, or you know, how to inform them. Um, I just want to make clear I'm not hiding anything from my filmmakers, but <laughs> uh, but there's just you know the flexibility, adaptability. It, I want to tell you a cute story. So I have um, an unusual name. My Berenice is not a common name even in France. And um, this 
mother contacted me through LinkedIn four years ago, and she said, my daughter is named Berenice, and she saw your name on the credit. She's six years old, and she wanted to know what kind of advice you would give her, Aww. you know, to answer your question. So I said, well, she should learn English. She should learn to be flexible and be patient, right? Wow. And cut to last week, Four years later, the mom contacts me again. She said, next Saturday, it's Berenice's birthday. She's going to be 10. And she wanted to have, I want to ask her what she wanted for her birthday. She wanted to FaceTime you. Oh, my heart. <laughs> that is so sweet. So, so she's like, we're now living in Singapore. And would you mind? So I actually talked to her last Friday. And it was a surprise, so she was beyond herself. And we talked for an hour. And to your point, as, as you know, she, she's learned English. She lives in Singapore now. She's French. The mother's Argentinian and the father's French. And all she dreams of is to, and she was interested in knowing what do I do. So I kind of walked her through. Obviously, it's a something that, you know, she had no idea. She draws, too. And, but it is uh, it is interesting to kind of pass on what we do. I love sharing it. When I go to France or when I go to Amnesty Film Festival and, um, you know, I talk about what I do, it, it, it's great. I said, don't give up on your dream because anything can happen, you know. I didn't sure expect to come through this Disney door one day, <laughs> you know, and people are looking at me like, oh, wow, you made it in America. You know, it's still the American dream. Um, and it just put it back in perspective when you live here every day and you work with such talented people every day. So um, those are moments that n- makes it so intense, you know. And I'm going to hopefully embarrass Bernice. Oh, God. Because, <laughs> um, you know, moving from Los Angeles, to that is Warner Brothers, up to Skywalker was a very um, frightening thing for me in a way. But I'll never forget, I mentioned it to Bernice. She said just really what she said to this, your namesake, mm-hmm. Bernice. You never know unless you try. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, what the heck? And, and, you know, she's been such a good friend, person, and an ally for all these years. I thought, well, what the heck? If I, if I can't do it, then, you know, I, I just go for it. So thanks. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're up there, and uh, you suc- I mean, you continue to be successful. You know, I'd follow you everywhere. You <laughs> go to to the moon. I'd follow you. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Elon Musk wants us to go to Mars. So <laughs> 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 well, that's great. And the other thing I would say too is, <coughs> sometimes uh, people ask questions, mm-hmm. and uh, now mind you, this is just started, but they ask questions and. Uh, they might ask one on the website. Mm-hmm. So if it's okay, maybe at some point we'll yeah. ask you a couple of questions. That yeah, for my sure. Answering, that'd be great. That would be great. For sure. Did I cover everything? You covered everything. Thank you so uh, much. That was, was so wonderful <laughs> talking <laughs> to you. Perfect. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode, everyone. If you liked it, be sure to leave us a comment or a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Right Scuff. For more information, be sure to check out our website, therightscuff.com. And if you're interested in our Prop of the Week, where each week we show you a fully prop that John has used in one of his movies, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Right Scuff. Thanks for listening, guys. Once again, I really hope you enjoyed this. 
And I wanted to give a little mini shout out to little Bernice if she ever hears this. Keep going, keep working at your dreams, and same to all of you out there. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening.